Well, I think the next great evangelist movement is demonstration, not proclamation. Sure. And as if you want people interested in what you believe, you ought to behave differently and not out there preaching the gospel, you know, where that's not, not your, your field uh, per se. And Welcome to The Ziggler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. Today, we are talking with a true dynamic duo, Ken Blanchard and Claire Diaz-Ortez. Few people don't know Ken Blanchard. He needs a little introduction as the renowned author of the acclaimed One Minute Manager book and scores of others. Ken shared the stage with Zig Ziglar many times and really is an influencer of not only Zig Ziglar's generation, but of Zig's level. Now, Claire Diaz-Ortiz is an author, speaker, and innovation advisor who is an early employee at Twitter. She was named one of the 100 most creative people in business by Fast Company and called the woman who got the Pope on Twitter by Wired. How's that for a claim? Well, Claire is the award-winning author of eight books that have been published in more than a dozen countries. But the cool story here is Ken asked Claire to co-author a book with him. The book is One Minute Mentoring, How to Find and Work with a Mentor and Why You'll Benefit from Being One. And mentoring is the focus of our conversation today. But Ken asked Claire because he not only personally mentors her, but she in turn mentors him in regards to the younger generation and technology specifically. It really makes an incredibly valuable perspective from those two different vantage points on the need, value, and opportunity of mentoring. We waited eight months to get this interview. We really wanted to talk about this. It's an important topic and conversation. I mean, mentorship, something Zig Ziglar cited as a primary reason for his success, and yet it's not something that's very common these days. So you'll hear us discuss that uh, more in the show, of course. You can find the book, One Minute Mentoring, wherever you uh, buy books. Uh, and hey, if you're hearing the show and haven't subscribed to us in iTunes, will you go hit the subscribe button? It does a lot to help us increase our ranking so new people will find us. And thank you in advance for that. Before we start in with Ken and Claire, I've got a couple great resources for you. Okay, here then I bring you Ken Blanchard and Claire Diaz-Ortiz and a conversation on the power of being mentored and mentoring. Well, it's such a, an incredible honor to have you guys both on here. And after reading the book, I feel like I'm talking to the characters in essence here. And I mean, to start off with, so it sounds like from what I know of you guys, you have together a, a relationship like this. You've had some mentoring between the two of you. How did that originate? Well, it really originated that uh, Claire uh, contacted me, the way I say it, and said that, you know, mentors in the past have always been older, and us youngins uh, can use the wisdom of you older folks, but I think that you older folks could use some mentoring from us, some of us young folks, too, uh, particularly around technology and all those kinds of things, and and as we started the dialogue with with the folks that work with us on our books and all, they said, wow, this is going to be exciting. Is that a fair estimate, uh, Claire? <laughs> I think that is, that is very fair. You know, I, I like to say that when we started working on this project together, I, I had this vision that, you know, most of the time Ken would be sort of spouting wisdom and I would be, you know, scribbling down uh, these sort of gems constantly and then reviewing them in my nightly notes. And although that did happen, there was a lot more give and take than I ever expected. And I think we'll, 
we'll get into that a little more in this interview, but really the, the sort of back and forth and the really cross-generational mentoring of it all was, was significantly more powerful in real life than I could have ever expected. So you were in the place that a lot of folks are in, in looking for a mentor that you had to step out and ask and, and take that, that risk in there. What led you to doing that with Ken specifically? And did you have a little bit of that? Okay. I'm just going to ask and that thought of probably everybody else is too. Is he really going to let me take that time? You know, well, I think this whole idea of putting yourself out there and asking for a mentor is, is a challenging one, but it is also one to carefully consider before you do it, because it's not just about sort of having the guts to do it. It's also about finding someone who, who you think you can really connect with and really resonate with and really share values with. There is um, kind of this, this, this fad, you know, about how powerful mentoring can be. And I think that one of the downsides of that is that sometimes people just sort of go after anyone who looks shiny to be their mentor, right? But a good mentor is going to be someone who shares values with you. Okay. And so on that, and yeah, can I assume that you have been, well, let me ask you that you are in the role of, of mentor, even as you are getting mentoring from your mentees here, but in past years, what did you look for in your own mentoring? Did you literally have a menu in essence of people that may involve, you know, the similar characteristics or circumstances in your life that they had in their lives? And you looked for some specific qualities unique to you. Well, I think uh, Claire was getting at it. A friend of mine told me uh, that if you're going to work with somebody, there's two aspects. One is essence and the other is form. Essence is heart to heart and values to values and form is what are we going to do together? And a lot of times people jump to form, like, will you be my mentor? And you haven't had any, spent any time just talking and getting to know each other to see if there's a connection in terms of values and, and uh, personalities and interests and all that. And, uh, and I think that's just been a powerful thing. And so Claire and I got a chance to spend some time together and, and find that we had essence before we started to talk about well, what, what, might we, what might we do with it you know, uh, in terms of form and, and whether it should be a book or whatever. Right. So speak to the, when I think of, and I'm pro- I assume I'm stereotypical, you guys can tell me, but I tend to think of, okay, if I want mentoring, I want somebody who has gone ahead of me and I tend to think of age, but can you just talked about it in relation to Claire, that she has gone ahead of you, been ahead of you in the aspect of technology and maybe some other uh, arenas and so how often do you look at yeah age just as in regards or, or as opposed to experience in a specific area you want help in? Well, I think you, you mainly want to look at what what's the area you're interested in and all. You know, I mean, I, I've written a lot of books and I had some wonderful mentoring relationships. You know, for example, I wrote a book with Norman Vincent Peale and he was 86 years old at the time. And I was, you know, like 40 two or three. And uh, people told me that we we would really be interesting to, to write a book with him. You know, I was interested in writing something on the power of positive management, you know, and uh, he was so interesting is that when I met with Norman and his wife, Ruth and our, our uh, publisher and all, we had a long lunch and and there was no form question. They wanted to know about me and they wanted to know about, uh, me to know about them and, you know, all that kind of thing. And at the end of the 
luncheon, Norman turns to Ruth and asks the ultimate essence question. He said, Ruth, do you think we should write a book with this young man? We hadn't even decided what the topic would be. And she said, absolutely, under one condition. He said, what's that? From now on, when we work together, he will bring his wife, Margie. The four of us will do this together because they heard a lot about Margie. And, and it was really a, amazing. And we ended up writing a book on ethics rather than on uh, power of positive management. But it was, uh, but it was really, and I, you know, I had a chance to write a book with Truett Cathy, who was the founder of Chick-fil-A, you know, because I was interested in, the need for generosity. And I, he was one of the most generous men I'd ever met. And I just went to him and, and asked if he'd be interested in, in that, you know, but I had met him through Norman and I think we had some essence uh, first before I went to him with a form question. Well, yeah. And I wanted to pose the same thing, the same question to you, Claire, as well, because you're in a different time of life, a different culture in so many ways. So yeah. How has you, how have you experienced that same issue? You know, I think we we often think of sort of the traditional mentoring relationship as as what we've defined in this book as a cross generational relationship. Essentially, you've got a mentor from an older generation and a mentee from a younger one. But in all honesty, you know, one of the things we we touch on in the book is that mentoring relationships can come in all different shapes and sizes. And you know, when you start to think about the different types of mentoring relationships out there, you realize, oh yes, I've heard of that. I've heard of that. But people often default to this cross generational mentoring one. But, you know, for example, uh, we talk about, you know, the organization Big Brothers, Big Sisters in the book. That's the classic sort of adult to adolescent mentoring relationship. You've got in many, many companies these days, this new trend towards new hire mentoring, which is really often a peer-to-peer thing, right? I, I start in a new industry or, or in a new firm, and I am partnered with someone who, who may be of my same generation, may even be younger than me, but who sort of knows the ropes. So, I mean, age is, is just one factor, and some types of mentoring relationships are going to, to benefit from that, but others really don't have much to do with that at all. Okay, so in this aspect of mentoring, well, let me ask you, Claire, so you are on the younger side of life. Have you had the chance to do mentoring with somebody who, even from a younger age, uh, you've been able to impart to? Sure. So, I mean, part of my sort of story of finding my way to Silicon Valley happened um, when I was living in Africa, running a small nonprofit organization out of Kenya and ended up becoming a foster mom to a Kenyan teenager, bringing him to the U.S. as he went through high school and then, mm. you know, went on to college. And so for me, that was an early mentoring relationship. I was, I guess, in my mid-20s when I met Sammy. Sammy was 13. You know, we mm. had this sort of dozen-year difference between the two of us. And for me, that was a very traditional uh, mentoring relationship. And it was only sort of in later years as Sammy got older that I began to identify all that I was learning from him at the same time. But I would say that's sort of the the kind of foundational early mentoring relationship I have as a mentor. Now, on the other side, you know, I had many different important experiences as a mentee. I think for many of us, those those first important mentee experiences typically come in some sort of an academic or, or sometimes church environment, right? right. And, and I can sort of look back and pinpoint a few key people in my life who really you know, brought me to, to, to the, next, the next fork in the path, essentially. With this focus, if I look at you guys as, as, as mentors to the mentoring topic in general, is this something that you look at as you're going to have 
You need to have this ingredient in your life and you need to have a primary one or do you guys employ multiple mentoring relationships in your ongoing life? Well, first of all, I I would say to people, if you stop learning, lie down and let them throw the dirt on you, you know, because you're already dead, you know. And so I think that you should go at life for the learning uh, uh, opportunity and you're going to want to learn in different areas. You know, uh, the, uh, in our refire book, we talk about, you know, what are you learning intellectually, which is really, uh, important, you know, so who can stimulate you there, but there's also, what about you? What are you doing physically? You know, so I got some mentors. I got a whole team now working on my health and making sure I'm staying in shape and, and all that kind of thing. And then spiritually, you know, what, what are you doing there in terms of, of uh, mentoring, uh, and uh, I'm I've mentored a lot of younger people in that spiritual uh, area because I can tell them about my journey, and and people have come to ask me, and you know, in our company, I'm my title is I'm the chief spiritual officer. I decided I want to be the chairman of the board, and I leave a morning message for everybody in our company every morning, and I I do three things. First, I what I do is I tell people who to pray for, and we have over 300 mm-hmm. people, and faith and non-faith and nobody minds when I say Laura's mom is really sick and we need to send our love and our prayers to her. And we got a lot of data on that. Then I praise people of all the things that I've ever taught over the years and all the books I've written. Somebody said, I'm going to take everything away from you except one concept, Blanchard. What would you hold on to? I would hold on to the second secret of the one minute manager about catching people doing things right and Uh accenting the positive. And so I praise people and people when I praise them, it's usually because somebody told me that somebody did something. And that always, you know, increases the esteem of somebody's boss because they have passed information up the hierarchy. And then I leave a an inspirational message on something that I've read or, or something that I've thought about. And also, like, I got a letter from an Australian a while back who I had sent a couple of books. I met him at an airport in Kenya when we were on a, on a safari and. He said, Ken, you know, the business you're in is you're in the in the business of teaching people the power of love rather than the love of power. And so I did wow. a whole thing on on that. And so uh, but off of that, you know, I've mentored a lot of people, uh, you know, on faith, but usually because of what I learned from Zig, which was, uh, you know, I think the next great evangelist movement is demonstration, not proclamation. Hmm. And as if you want people interested in what you believe you ought to behave differently and not out there preaching the gospel, you know, where that's not, not your, your field uh, per se. And so uh, it's, it's uh, been a lot of fun. Then I've mentored people in writing too. I started with Mark Miller, who was the head of training at Chick-fil-A and we wrote a book together because he had this wonderful serve model. He created Chick-fil-A and I said, boy, that ought to be a book. We ended up writing a book together and, and uh, then he, he got into writing books, and now he's written all kinds of books, and it's really been fun to see him grow in that whole area, you know, that's just uh, wonderful stuff. When we look at, you know, as I hear you guys talk, when we look at 
at, let's say business and personal, those two aspects. And with a lot of people, I mean, we have an aspiring audience here at the Ziegler show and you guys do too, from your audiences and people that are in the business world and they're trying to progress there. Do you find that people often come to the mentoring aspect or looking for a role model, looking for counsel from a vocational standpoint, uh, but does it generally end up siding as far as the benefit just right into the personal life? Well, I think that really, you know, connects with a question that I know Ken and I both get all the time, which is, you know, what is this difference between coaching and mentoring? Because certainly in the business world, you hear those both kind of interchanged a lot. And so I think for the definition that that we came to through the process of, of our work was kind of deciding that, you know, coaching is really about working on or working through a specific performance related issue, whereas mentoring is more holistic. And so that really, you know, gives an answer to the question you're asking right there, right? When you start a mentoring relationship, can you completely divide the personal from the professional? Probably not. You know, I think most mentoring relationships really, really depend on a kind of a holistic view of your life and, you know, going after that essence before form, right? If, you, if you're trying to make sure that you can connect with the potential mentor or mentee on values first, then that probably means that you're going to be digging into some life stuff during, during the course of that relationship. Okay. So, so you Claire, I'll ask on a personal level and I'm sorry, I don't know if these were, were the twins, your first kids, or did you have some before then? I have it. I have a three-year-old and then I have these twin one-year-olds. Yeah. Okay. Well, even with the three-year-old, you have twins, you just took it to a whole different level. So in that with parenting, did you, is that your thought process? Did you go, okay, I need some parenting coaching or did you really look, cause we could get that from a book granted. And, and to some extent, like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to deepen the question there. I mean, we are in a culture. I mean, we're here right now speaking in the personal development realm where we all live to a great degree. And with that, we get so much input we can get input from the best and the brightest out there. And yet I hear from you guys, that's not what we're talking about. Mentoring. Do you put that in? That's great coaching. But do you say that is not mentoring as you guys have defined it here? There are different levels of mentorship. I will say that, right? You've got, you know, you've got people I've, I've talked to through the course of this book that say, you know, I feel like I've, I found a mentor through the pages in X author, right? Something, something I've certainly felt about Zig Ziglar and about Ken, right? This is a mentor through the pages. And in some cases, those relationships move from the pages to a, a real in-person relationship, right? And you also have other types of mentors. Maybe, you know, I think Michael Hyatt calls himself the virtual mentor, right? Where he shares business leadership lessons to people through his blog and sort of acts as a mentor like that. So I think there is a sort of ladder or, you know, a ladder effect in mentoring. Um, I think in our book, we talk about mentoring in in what we hope is sort of the the truest, best, most effective form where you have this one-on-one in-person relationship. But you can get tons out of short mentoring relationships, mentoring moments. Hmm. I think that's a phrase that Ken coined, uh, perhaps after a particularly good airplane flight in which I think he changed someone's life. <laughs> but I'll let him tell that story. <laughs> you know, mentoring comes in different packages. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Well, so in your, so, so in this, I mean, we're in a culture right now where we have a lot more content coming out every day about the lack of 
intimate relationships more, you know, we're all connected to a zillion people, social media wise, but a lack. So in that, it may be just an elementary question, but I like to get the issue out on the table. I mean, Ken, especially in your lifetime, have you seen this, you know, there was an age back when we had apprenticeships and now today there's so very little of that in the same way with mentoring and having an intimate counseling relationship, a guiding relationship. Do you see that we are further away from that and more in need than ever in today's uh, culture and, and, and society because of, again, this, this furthering away from the intimate relationships that we're so, we so vitally need. It's interesting. Simon, Simon Sinek spoke at our client conference recently, quite a guy, you know, his popular book about start with why, but he said that the biggest disease in the country is not cancer or heart. It's isolation. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to say that people feel isolated, and yet we have capabilities to get information in such easy ways. But he said that's not what the issue is. Mm-hmm. It's really where you have a relationship or emotional uh, relationship with somebody, not just somebody online or, or answering voicemails and, I mean, emails and stuff like that. And so uh, I, I think it's a, a major issue for people, and I think that we need to – uh, get back into organizations with uh, uh, having people have uh, kind of mentors or apprentice when they when they join a company and somebody that they can relate to and and it could be a as Claire was saying it could be a somebody who's the same age and a peer or it could be a, an older person. I think it's so stupid to put people out in the pasture at sixty five in organizations where we've talked about they would be tremendous to even be half time as mentors to young people about not only the organization, but about life and all that. And what we have found is that that would give new life to these retirees by learning from the younger people that they uh, mentor. And I, I just think we have to be, Peter Drucker said years ago uh, to me, nothing good happens by accident. You got to provide some structure and we can't ho- hope that people and organizations will somehow find intimacy and, and lose isolation just by chance. I, it doesn't happen. So on that aspect, no, Claire, go ahead. I, I'm reminded of another thing Simon Sinek in that talk, said in that talk that was incredibly powerful as he was talking about, you know, so my personal background, I, I was in Silicon Valley as an early employee at Twitter. So I'm very passionate about the power of social media to, to create connections and do good in the world. And obviously in the last year that has sort of, uh, you know, taken the, the forefront of, you know, CNN.com more than ever as we're seeing how social media can, can really be a bad thing for our connections, right? And so Simon Sinek in that talk uh, gave this really interesting story of being out at brunch in Manhattan and walking into a brunch place and seeing a table full of adults and then next to that table, a table full of kids. So, you know, the parents are are eating together and the kids are eating together and every kid at that table had a device. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I am using an iPad and and I'm a parent of young children. I, I understand that iPads are reality, but he was basically using this as an example of saying, you know, what are we modeling to the next generation? What does this do to relationships, right? This, this constant technology. And when we think that relationships happen via technology, does that change our vision of what a real relationship is like? And so it's such an interesting discussion because I do think, and, you know, one of the things we talk about in our book is there is 
power in technology to help relationships. You know, two of the, the characters in our book, they're, they're using Skype to try to connect at times, right? They're, they're text messaging. They're not always necessarily sitting down for coffee right in front of each other to, to have their, you know, mentoring catch-ups. And, and technology can help us. You know, I live, I live far away in Argentina. And so for me, connecting with Ken is often about, you know, Skype or doing it as, as we are today via video technology. But we've just got to remember that there's a place for everything, right? And, and these relationships really need, really need all of us at the same time, whatever that, whatever that might mean for our context. Well, so yeah, and I think it's important that uh, people, when you have a mentoring relationship, that you know you keep in contact because sometimes you you, know, you both get busy and you can't have a face to face meeting, but you could say, "Let's let's see." You know, if you got an issue, I'd love to hear about it rather than waiting three weeks until we get face to face. And so that's what I think Claire's saying is that we got to use all the things. But if it was all on on social media and and online and all it wouldn't be much of a mentoring relationship because you would miss mm-hmm. that connection thing and okay well you just addressed my next question which was uh i mean i do these yes so i'm not as far away as you claire argentina i did not realize that uh at all but i am way up in the uh, rocky mountains not a whole lot of people come by here unless they're on the way to skiing which i can take care of you then but otherwise they're not coming up here so i do these via zoom and i i went to an event in nashville tennessee with uh, with a bunch of vip folks influencers last a uh, couple weeks ago and i honestly could not remember some of the folks if i had actually met them face to face before or if we had just done zoom here yeah. to some degree and i, I had to ask a couple of folks and I embarrassed myself. And, and I really, I mean, I do this so often. So with that said, how important is that for somebody in this mentoring relationship to have someone where you can do the literal face-to-face in the flesh meetings, at least part of the time, as opposed to always in a remote, you know, in a, in a cyber setting like this is, would you put that as a primary ingredient that yes, you need to be able to be face to face at least occasionally? Yes. I I think it's really important because that's when you really can meet heart to heart. Uh, It's really hard to get heart to heart over, you know, social media, you know, I mean, you can get some, some there, but it's that, as Claire was saying, it's a combination and, and it's it's staying in contact, but you got to really, spend some time with, uh, with, with each other, you know, I mean, this is nice technology way where we can see each other. So we, we have a chance. This is, this is a more advanced technology thing. And, and so a lot of people, you know, when they travel, they Skype and talk to their kids at home and boy, that's, that is a great advantage over, you know, phone calls or whatever, you know, cause you can actually see them and, and all, and, and so this there's wonderful advantages, but actually being there to give them a hug and and uh, be there to just uh, you know be more uh, in the same space is really nice. When you talk about the intimacy, and, and Claire, I'll point this one at you, and I, I'm sure you can cite so many aspects of your vocational. Uh, you know, career and, and things that you've gotten great counsel imparted to you, but on a personal level with you as a, as a young mom. And uh, of course you got marriage in there and the pressures and, and everything going on. Where has, uh, I'll ask you from a personal standpoint, where has some of the mentoring really made an impact in your 
personal, you know, home parenting spouse life? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's probably no uh, no secret that I went through some sort of major upheavals in terms of identity when I became a mom. You know, I was dying to become one, but having had a, a pretty high high pressured career for a long time, there was definitely a shift mm-hmm. that took place. And so for me, it was incredibly important to to not only find mentors but also to find sort of role models in the mm-hmm. space. And I think that is something that um, we we sometimes discount. This idea that, you know, learning from someone else, maybe if you're just learning from them from afar, you know, reading their books, that sort of thing, um, we don't realize how important it can be. Um, but even when you, you can't have, you know, some mentoring relationship with someone, maybe, maybe they've passed on, maybe they just aren't in a position to be your mentor, you know, maybe they're the president of, of some country and that's not, that's not on their agenda this year, you can still learn from them. Yeah. And for me, you know, I have always started sort of every learning journey in a book. And so when I was learning about what it meant to, to be a parent and to be a mom in a world in which I, I wanted to value my career and my kids at the same time, that was where I started. And I've been lucky that some of those people have, you know, gone from sort of a mentor through the pages to, you know, a role model and mentor in real life. But, but some of them have stayed on the pages and they have taught me, taught me well. Do you find that there's need sometimes, and, and this can be for, for both of you, or either one of you to have multiple members, uh, mentors, for those specific areas of your life. I mean, I have significant things going on in my life as far as business. And I find myself right now gravitating towards people who have, you know, had a business startup that's really gone to a massive level. That's a, that's a different area that not everybody has experienced. And yet over here, I've got a large family and it's, it's every bit as much of an effort. I don't always find somebody who has both of those things going on. And so do you find it or it's relevant to have significant mentoring relationships with different people, again, at the same time for those specific needs. You'll get some people that'll give it to you both yeah. way. You know, I mean, they're, they got businesses and all that. Like we have a wonderful friend, Hiram Smith, who started Franklin quest, you know, and he's a Mormon mm-hmm. and has all kinds of kids and grandkids. And he and Gail are just amazing models of, of parenting and with the family and all that. But he also, so was a wonderful entrepreneur uh, and, uh, you know, uh, we're doing uh, stuff together. We're even going to go to Washington here soon to, to visit with some people who want to create a, a committee that can kind of get people to how do we create win-win environments rather than win-lose. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you, know, it's, uh, you know, what party are you and all? How do we do big picture stuff? And and so uh, it's uh, it's fun to to have people who you can admire in both, both sides. Uh, my dad was a great mentor to me because he was a retired as an admiral in the Navy and was an amazing guy. But he also, even though he was traveling and gone, he, I can never remember him missing an important event. He some always was there, you know, and called home every day if he was gone. And, you know, it was, it was, he was a mentor in a lot of ways. He started me in the whole leadership trail. I won the president of the seventh grade in junior high school. And I came home and I was all pumped up and dad said, well, here's the beginning of your leadership training. He said, Ken, now that you're president, don't ever use your position because great leaders are great because people respect and trust them. Not they have power. He said, the greatest leaders I know have power, but don't use it. Mm. So go ahead. Carol. 
I also think, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of having different mentors for um, just sort of helping you, if not in different areas, then just giving different voices to your life, right, as a whole. But I think this also brings up the idea that we kind of touched on earlier, but didn't dig into, which is, you know, what do you do if, if kind of your, your mentoring relationship has, has maybe reached its end, right? Mm. And I was um, talking about the book with someone, I was doing an interview with someone and they were saying, you know, they're in currently a mentoring relationship and they are the mentor and, you know, they are providing this advice to the mentee, but they feel like the mentoring relationships kind of run its course. And so, you know, this, this journalist was saying to me, so, so what should I do, Claire? Should I break up with my mentee? And I was like, no, no, don't break up with your mentee. Because I think what, what we really learned and what we tried to convey in this book was this idea that, you know, a mentoring relationship can be really close and really engaged for a season. And, and then it can kind of not be. But then you have that person, you know, in your sort of wider circle of trust, someone you can call on, someone who is a friend and a confidant, and and that works. It's not about sort of starting a relationship and then ending that relationship and then finding another one to start and then ending that, right? It's it's about creating more relationships in your life for the long haul. Yeah, and, and the, the kind of meetings and contacts you have would, might change, but they're still an right. important part of your your life, you know, that you, you can still call and be, I think that's really important to declare what you're saying there. Yeah. Yeah. What a gift to have your mentee or mentor alumni group that you can call back on. And it, and it reminds me of Zig, uh, where, and even today, when you go into the headquarters, the first thing you go by is his wall of fame. And it's the, mm. the number of people, I think 20 some people who he cites as having the most influence in his life, people he was able wow. to use for that time and always call on. And mm. that's what he pointed to that and, and, mm. and, and his father in heaven as that's, this is why I am where I am today. Mm. Well, you know, you've mentioned a couple things like that. Should I fire my, my mentor? What are some of the top level mistakes as people look at, okay, I want to go after this. I want to be, I need a mentor or I want to be a mentor. What are some of the primary mistakes that we need to uh, put on the board and get out of the way? Well, what do you think about that, uh, Claire? You know, I think that, I think one mistake is that that you can uh, count on one person to, you know, solve all your problems and, uh-huh. and, you know, overload them, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, you just get, get Im- immobilized. I don't know. What, what's your thoughts on that? Some of the sure. I, I have two that I think are really common and really kind of dangerous. One of them is, you know, forgetting to be in regular touch with your mentor or mentee and sort of turning that mentoring relationship into just sort of an, an SOS situation, right? You're in crisis. And so that's when you call on your mentor. And I think that does not do good things for the relationship. You, you need to really build that relationship over time. You need to, you know, make deposits into that relationship as well. And if you're always calling on your mentor, when it's a time of crisis, you're maybe doing a bit too much taking and not enough sort of giving. Um, I would say on top of that, another thing that we, that comes up in the story in our, in our book is this idea of going deep too fast, Mm. which is very challenging because, you know, we live in this, in this world of valuing more and more valuing authenticity, right? Mm. Ken and I recently heard Brene Brown talk and she gave this incredible talk about, you know, the importance of really being who we are in relationships with other people and, and being authentic. But there is a difference between, you know, authenticity and revealing too much too fast mm. and making sure that you really have that trust 
and have that relationship in place before you kind of cross cross boundaries you shouldn't be crossing. Well, and you mentioned that one of the mistakes is forgetting to be in regular touch. Do you find that, uh, you know, just well, let's like podcasting, which is what we're doing right now. And there's a lot of content about, Hey, if you're going to be serious in doing this, you need to do at least a show per week. And we used to talk about in mm-hmm. blogging, how often to really keep people engaged. And in this, uh, relationship, especially at the beginning of a mentoring relationship, do you have a timeline that you would espouse that? Yeah, this needs to be a weekly thing or at least bi-monthly, or what is the secret sauce to making sure that you're not doing it too much and, and overwhelming each other, but that you're not letting too much time pass as well. Well, that's one of the things when we talk about our kind of a mentor model is after you kind of have a mission, which is what do you want to accomplish? Then you have mm-hmm. to talk about, well, how are we going to engage with each other, you know, because M is mission and, and E is, you know, what's our engagement strategy, you know, uh, how often do we want to meet, how, in what ways and all those. And so I think those are really important issues to get, get up front right away. Oh, that's great. So that's, you know, on goals, of course, we're Ziggler. So goals are, are top of the list as far as a topic. And it is so much focused on Zig, Zig taught us and, and you have as well, that we need to be specific. So in this, this is more than, are you saying this is more than saying, okay, I need some mentoring because I need to be better everywhere. I could be a better parent. I could be a better mm-hmm. spouse. I could be better at my work. I could be a better employee, boss, manager. Do we need to have those specifics set out though? So no, I'm going after it for this specific yeah, primary Yeah, I think purpose. you need a mission. Uh, don't you think, Claire? I mean, you got to, why, why are we, why are we together? What, what's this all about? Yeah, we, we think in, in sort of the, the mentor model we created that, you know, the first step is coming up with that mission statement. And not only is that kind of a clear way to know where you're going, but it's also a clear way to to, to measure where you've been after a while, right? To sort of figure out, hey, is this working? Do we need to pivot? Do we need to set a new course? So I think having, having a goal, having a mission, and it doesn't have to be too big, it probably shouldn't be too big, is, is the best way to get started. Okay, two, I won't put it to a number, but the top challenges. So as you have done this yourselves, uh, both on both sides, mentor and mentee, but now as you're bringing this message to the masses, what do you still see as the primary challenges that people have in regards to starting, taking that first step? Well, I I think it's recognizing that you have a need, Hmm. (laughs) you know, that would, that's where it would would start. And then see, I wonder who, uh, who, who, around here might help. And one of the things we say in the story is that the the young man says, well, gee, I could use some help. And, you know, I'm not sure I'm in the right career. And uh, well, who do you think can help you? Well, you can ask family, do you have any, any suggestions of people I might meet and, and uh, you know, friends and, and all. And, and he has a couple of false starts with some people, you know, uh, you know, just the essence wasn't right. And all that kind of thing, but it's uh, it's really kind of uh, sharing with people what you're what you're looking for and getting some advice on who might be what be good people to to talk to. Claire, I would say then on you know on top of that, we, we live in a, a world in which we all feel crazy busy. We've got so many things on our to do list, and so creating and making a mentoring relationship important probably feels draining mm-hmm. to some people. It feels like one more thing I should be doing. And I think really turning that idea on its head and realizing that 
you know, in, in a good mentoring relationship, this is something that should be energizing that should make other areas of your life easier, smoother and, and more enjoyable and fulfilled. So ultimately realizing that and having that be the reason that, that you do prioritize it in your life. You know, learning is what does Ken say? The day stop learning the day is, you know, I should just throw dirt on my grave or whatever it is. No, let them throw dirt on you because you're already dead. <laughs> yes. That, so this is something that comes into that aspect of you're going to need to give something's going to have to give. So you're going to have to give up some good for this, this great. I mean, do you put it in, it sounds like you do put it in the aspect of here we are, we're all trying to do and do and do, and we're trying to pour out. And this is the piece of where we have to step back. And so self-care ultimately you talk about Brene Brown and, and this is an aspect of to fill myself. And do you see that again, you've experienced it in your own experience and in other people that when mm-hmm. they do this, when they plug in, when they get this guidance and counsel and relationship that then they are and take the time for that, invest that time that they are then able to go forward being that much more and an X factor times more proficient, efficient, successful in those endeavors that they want to achieve in the first place. Well, you know, I, I just want to put it, uh, something in perspective is that, uh, I think we got two selves. We have an external task oriented self that's used to getting jobs done. And then we have a thoughtful, reflective self. And which one do you think wakes up quicker in the morning? You know, the alarm goes off. You know, John Ortberg, a pastor friend, a wonderful author, says, what, what a lousy name for that. Why isn't it the opportunity clock or it's going to be a great day? But the alarm goes off and boom, you jump into your task or yourself and you're eating, you know, while you're, while you're trying to get dressed and you jump in the car and all. And we get so into tasks that we get exhausted, you know, and we, and we do it day after day. And then we get into this rat race. And Lily Talman, the great uh, advisor from Hollywood, said that the problem with the rat race is even if you win it, you're still a rat. Uh, but, uh, is, I, I think that the thinking about mentoring and all takes some time on your thoughtful, reflective self. You know, we need, don't, don't, we don't take enough time for solitude and, and thinking and, and prayer and, and other kinds of things. And, and you need to find some time, whether it's early in the morning or at night or, or, you know, a friend of mine gave me great advice. He said, don't put the radio on in the car when you get in. This is a wonderful time to uh, get your thoughts together. And actually, you know, I've imagined that Jesus might be sitting next to me so mm-hmm. I can chat with him, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because even with our prayers, we do much too much talking and not enough listening. And uh, so I think uh, the whole idea of thinking through mentoring is, is getting into your thoughtful, reflective self in terms of where am I, where do I want to go, what do I need to do? And you're not going to do that if you're in the middle of the rat race, which so many Mm -hmm. people are. Do you find that people who are in places of influence, they're the authors, the speakers, the experts, the authorities, the presenters, everybody that they are sometimes less likely you get, do they get in that habit of giving and giving and speaking and they're the leader and they are more likely to discount or not go after actually getting guidance from others? Absolutely. I mean, there was a moment in the writing of our book where an editor actually said, you know, in our book, there is a, you know, an an older, highly accomplished female executive. And at one point she is expressing some of her sort of doubts about what to do next. And 
there was an editor in the reading of this that said they didn't think, you know, that was realistic, that, that someone at that level would be expressing, you know, that, that she wasn't really sure what was next for her. And it was such an interesting moment for me to kind of hear that feedback, because I think that is really the mistaken idea of mentoring in the world, right? That the only people that need mentors are, you know, the, the recent college graduates or, you know, the, the kid coming out of business school who's not sure what to do next. And that's not, that's not what it's about. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and Ken, so you being at the uh, older end of the spectrum, at least from Claire, uh, talk to that. I mean, you're at that place as a, one of the most prolific influencers and leaders of our time. And you're also in, uh, the older years as well. Are you still going after mentoring? Are you still seeking out others? Obviously you talked about that with Claire, but speak to that. Cause again, I see, and I, and I don't want to, uh, pick gender sides here, but my experience is men tend to be a little more on the arrogant side in general that they are more prone to your, you know, you're older, you're, 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 you've conquered the world to some degree. You don't need mentoring anymore. Is that still a problem that we have? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's a false, you know, problem, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm 78 years old and I'm just so excited about life. In fact, Bob Buford wrote a wonderful book called, uh, uh, finishing well. And he yeah. said that the the most excited people uh, in later years are people who uh, are think that uh, the future is more exciting than the past, you know. Yeah. And I'll never forget, I interviewed John Wooden when he was 95 years old, Coach Wooden from UCLA. And I ended the interview, uh, it was a leadership luncheon. And I said, Coach, uh, are you... Uh, are the best years ahead of you or behind you? And he had this great grin on his face. And he said, Ken, the past is the past. And I'm so excited about the future. And he mm. said, and I'm hoping to be united with my, my wife, Nellie, again, because she had, had died and all. But, you know, it's just that that whole thing. And I think that, uh, uh, as I said, when you stop learning or stop really feeling that, that the future is exciting, you know, I mean, I, I'm really, you know, just so excited now you know i mean some people are visiting us and they said it's just exhausting watching <laughs> you <laughs> doing this and that and all and i said aren't you exhausted i said mm-hmm. no i'm having fun you know i mean i'm at the age i don't have to do anything that i don't want to do you know what people say well why are you keep on writing i said because it's fun mm-hmm. you know and uh so it's uh and i'm constantly learning it's it's uh it's really a wonderful opportunity to, con- to continue to to learn. I just uh, finished a book called Servant Leadership in Action, and I got 44 people to contribute short articles to this book, you know, and most reading books, the, the articles are too long, but I wanted the thing. And so I had some interesting things because I, I got people like Marshall Goldsmith and Patrick Lencioni and Francis Hasselbaum and Dave Ramsey and Laurie Beth Jones and, you know, uh, just all kinds of interesting, uh, Simon Sinek and, and all. And I approached them, you know, and, and uh, it's uh, one of the things I think that's good about Claire too is that Claire and I are not competitive in our mindset against uh, other people's theories and all. We're really open to learn, and therefore people are really interested to discuss and talk with us because they know that we're not there to show that, that we're the brightest uh, bulb in town. Mm-hmm. But that we could learn learn something, and I think that's the attitude of a person who's open to be a good mentor as well as to get mentoring. Don't you think, Claire? 
I completely agree. 100%. Well, so, so I want to, I want to end on uh, just a bit with essence and form as you guys talk about, and in the essence part, and I found myself thinking about this because, uh, well, for disclosure, I have not done a great job of getting mentoring, getting coaching, getting counsel. Mm-hmm. I'm the first to jump on a call to contact somebody. And through this show, especially, I feel like I've got a golden Rolodex to the best and the brightest and I can get counsel, but I haven't really gone after mentoring to this degree. And as you talk about it, and I'm thinking, and you know, a, thought that came up is do I, and we, we hit on this a little bit to find somebody who has had similar experience or has had more so in an area that I'm involved in, whether it's business or family. But then when you look at, let's talk about marriage and we often talk about finding someone or even in a business partnership that balances, balances each other out. And I happen to be an oddity in that I married someone and we have a lot of similarities, which is great. We have great highs and then we have great lows uh, and we don't balance each other out in some ways. My primary business partner, very similar. We do not have, uh, we do not balance each other out in this. When you look at mentoring and some of the great success stories, do you find that in that relationship, it is good to have somebody who has, you know, a lot of similarities so you can resonate or is it good to find somebody who's going to see things from a different perspective and balance you out in that way? Well, I think there's a difference between essence, which is about values and, and heart and all and their personalities and, and that kind of thing, you know, but, uh, because you don't want to work with somebody who's very different than you that also doesn't have the same values, you know, they're, they're out to, you know, it's all about me and all that kind of of thing. So I think you want to separate those, those issues out, you know, it's at first to, you know, is this somebody who I can really relate to now they're different, you know, and and, uh, my, my wife, Margie and I, you know, she's got different strengths than I do and different things. And also when we started our company, I said, you should be president. You're so much better at that kind of thing than I am, you know? And so like, I'm the head cheerleader and she really was the one that really kind of built the thing before. And now our kids are running the the company and Margie's younger brother was born when she was a freshman at Cornell. And uh, so uh, it's a, it's, it's really important to, to uh, get essence, but then also get people that can help you. Because if everybody is just like you that's gathered around you, then it's a number of people that aren't necessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, granted. Claire, how about you on that in your own experience? Have you found a balance in there of, of yeah, having somebody who resonates similar values as Ken talked about and understanding of the circumstances, the, the, the arena in life that you're trying to get help in, but then also having the balance of somebody who thinks a little bit differently or sees from a different point of view? I think it's super valuable to, to have that, that baseline of shared essence but then have someone who can kind of push you to think differently. Yeah. Um, you know, in the same way that we like to say, you know, in corporations, CEOs are, are not helped by having, you know, yes men and yes women around them all the time, right? Mm-hmm. I think we are not helped if we are trying at, to look to grow in a mentoring relationship by, by having someone that doesn't push us a bit, right? And ask us to look at things the other way and, you know, push us to, to think if, if we can make a change or do something a little differently, if that would help us get to where we ultimately want to be. Okay. 
Well, so let me ask then to give us a couple highlights on form. And we did talk a little bit about frequency and I see that as a form question. Are there a couple top for folks who are, well, obviously folks go get the book. That's the point here. But, uh, just to hit people off on a high level, what would you give some highlights for form for some of the structure of this relationship that will help it be healthy? So, you know, first and most importantly, you want to make sure you've got that mission statement that we were talking about, you know, making sure that you have clarified why you are together. And, you know, even to the extent of thinking how long do we want to try this for, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we touched on this idea of engagement of how often do you want to meet, but also thinking about sort of a timeline for the mentoring relationship. It doesn't mean it has to end then at all. You could keep it going um, just as intensely or even more so after that, but, but giving it sort of a trial period to see how it works, right? Mm -hmm. um, then I would say another sort of key form issue is making sure that you build in time to review and renew within the, the context of that engagement. So making sure that you're not just sort of setting course and then sailing off into the sunset forever, but instead saying, hey, you know, we've been doing this for this many months now. These were our goals. Um, are, we, are we on track to, to go towards them? Are we sailing in that direction? And, and are we connecting enough to, to be able to reach those goals ultimately? Okay. Now, Claire, it might be interesting to share with them just to quickly the rest of the mentor model, because the R that she's just talking about is about review and evaluate, which is important. But we talked about M as being mission and E as engagement. Do you want to tell them a little bit about the N, the sure. T, and the O quickly? Sure. So in the mentor model, you've got M is mission, uh, creating a clear mission statement, E is about engagement, making a commitment to regular meetings. N is about cultivating productive relationships that expand each other's network. And this is important because I think when people jump into a mentoring relationship, they assume that the mentor is going to bestow on you all these interesting connections. But oftentimes, the mentee also has connections to offer as well, right? Um, then the T in the mentor model is about trust and realizing that not only do you need trust to, to get where you're going in that relationship, but that trust will take time. It won't be something that will happen right away. Um, then the O in that model is opportunity, realizing that mentoring relationships bring with them great opportunity. But of course, remembering that with opportunity um, comes, you know, comes that respect and that trust and making sure that you are getting and choosing wisely and expanding upon opportunities that your mentor or mentee might be extending to you in a, in a respectful way. And then the final um, step in the mentor model is this idea of review and renewal, which we, we touched on, you know, aside from just reviewing regularly, going through that renewal process. Hey, do we want to keep doing this? Or is it time to sort of back burner our mentoring relationship for a while, have it not be as intense, but, you know, remain within each other, other's sort of circle of trust. And that's, that's pretty much the, the mentor model in a nutshell. Well, it's such a, a, a timely message. Again, as always, I feel like I get to be the primary student. So thank you for inspiring my own life. I already over lunch talked to my uh, primary business partner about this and the need that we both have 
uh, in our lives for this. And so you've inspired us to pursue it. I love how you wrote the book. Of course, the story form is so engaging and, uh, I appreciate more and more every day, the shorter books, you know, the plane ride mm-hmm. book, uh, or at least the, the there and back book. So thank you guys for coming together, for being so authentic and sharing your own stories and giving this, uh, this is uh, us, this message. I mean, from the Ziegler standpoint, this is what we want to bring our audience. So, uh, just huge thanks to you. It's an incredible honor for both of you. Well, thank you. It's been great being with you. Thank say you our, so give much. Our, give our best to Tom. Friends, this show inspired me to reach out for mentoring really in some specific areas of my life. I hope you feel the necessity of finding mentorship and of course, offering mentorship. You can find the book again, One Minute Mentoring, wherever you buy books. Coming up in show 580, we hear a message from Zig Ziglar on direction, the power and necessity, if you want to make progress, of determining the direction you want to go in your life, to have a vision and a game plan. Well, from this message, I asked on Facebook, where in life do you have any specific goals in mind that you are working towards? And asked people to share in the physical, family, education, financial, spiritual, career, experiences, or other categories. Well, Tom Ziegler and I talked through the responses, and uh, they were incredible responses, of course. And then Tom ended up sharing a paradigm-shifting perspective on goals and replacing that terminology with problems. It was really interesting. First time in my 47 years and the majority of that in personal development that I'd heard it shared with that concept. I think it'll give new life to a lot of you as it did me and looking at the things we desire to achieve or better in our lives a different way, possibly a more tangible way that we can digest better. Well, till then, thank you for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.